Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, happy Thanksgiving, you turkeys. How are you doing? You stuffed? Still have dessert coming? Hope you had a great long weekend. Monday night, Inside Sports, Thanksgiving Monday. My oh my, the NHL regular season starts tomorrow. The Oilers make their debut on Wednesday. They're going to be taking on the Vancouver Canucks. 6 o'clock for the face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. The game will start at 8. The Oilers wrapped up their preseason on Friday with a 5-3 win over Seattle. The Oilers go 5-3 and three in the preseason. They practice today at the downtown community rink, getting ready for that season opener. And then after practice, they announce some roster moves. First of all, defenseman Jason Demers, he is released from his professional tryout so the Oilers had those uh, two guys in camp on PTOs Jake Vertanen was let go a few days ago Jason Demers gets released today also the Oilers send to Bakersfield Devin Shore and James Hamblin Devin Shore cleared waivers Hamblin also going down so at the moment the Oilers have 21 people on their NHL roster 12 of them our forwards, McDavid, Kane, Pugliarvi, Dreisaitl, Holloway, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, McLeod, Fogel, Ryan, Malone, and Yamamoto. Those are the forwards. The 7D are Nurse, CeCe, Kulak, Berry, Murray, Bouchard, and Broberg, and, of course, the two goalies, Campbell and Skinner. So 21 players on the Oilers roster with uh, Shore and Hamblin sent to the minors today. Jason Demers released from his PTO. Now, uh, there still could be some other changes here before the start of the season, but that's how the roster looks right now. D- Dmitry Samrukov was traded yesterday to St. Louis for Clem Costin. You probably saw that already. So uh, that's one uh, one less body around on the back end. Marcus Niemelainen was sent to the minors, but maybe for cap purposes, what's going on at the start of the season, there could be some shuffling around. But that's what we have today. Uh, so only 12 active forwards on the roster at the moment. Kyler Yamamoto kind of skated uh, through a rotation of players on the fourth line today. They practiced before the roster moves were made. So Shore and Hamlin were on the ice, and there was a five-man rotation on the fourth line. Shore and Hamlin along with Ryan Malone and Yamamoto. Pugliarvi stayed up there with McDavid and Kane. Yes, he scored that goal against Seattle on Friday night. Finished off a nice passing play after he forechecked. Barry got it to McDavid. Great pass to uh, Pugliarvi who put it in. Yamamoto has been up there at times in the preseason as well. And head coach Jay Woodcroft commented today that he loves to see internal competition. It's really positive because usually, in my experience, competition brings the, the best in people. Uh, I thought Jesse Pugliarvi played a heck of a game uh, last game. 
I thought he was physical. I thought he got in on the forecheck. Um, you know, he found a way to score a goal, which I'm sure helps his own personal confidence. But I thought he did a lot of really good things in that game. And anytime you have a lot of people pushing, it makes your team better and, and uh, it makes it competitive for those ice time and specifically the privileged ice time. And when Woodcroft was asked about Yamo's health today, he said, well, we'll see. He didn't come out and say he was definitely in for sure on Wednesday against the Vancouver Canucks. So a little bit of a storyline to watch there today. Warren Fogle, who was a little banged up last week, he was in his regular spot, if you want to call it that, with Nugent Hopkins and Fogle. So we'll keep an eye on Yamamoto here in the days to come. Again, right now they only have 12 forwards, but there could be some tweaking there uh, before they actually play the Canucks on Wednesday. Dylan Holloway, as we expected, is indeed on the roster, and he's with Dreisaitl and Hyman, so looks like he's going to start the season in a top-six role. And Jay Woodcroft, of course, like many of you, likes what he sees from Holloway. Yeah, I think he's a really, really powerful skater, like a very powerful skater. Um, I think that helps him play a power forward type of game. Just the way he's low to the ground, he, he's, he's willing to do things with his skating, and I think this is an important point. He's willing to do things that are hard. So he'll take a D-man wide, which isn't always the easiest thing uh, to do. He'll bring the puck all the way across the blue paint rather than just kind of tiptoeing to the near post. He does hard things with that skating. I think that's one of his main assets as a player. Is certainly his hands are feeling a lot better, and I think that's just time taking its course uh, and a lot of the work that he put in to rehab that. But he should feel very confident right now. He's put a lot of work in and I'm happy for him okay so those are your Oilers news and notes as we wrap up the exhibition schedule and now get ready for the start of the regular season the Edmonton Elks two games left they are out officially eliminated from playoff contention uh, obviously they were a bit of a long shot to uh, to get in though Saskatchewan has kept losing if the Elks could have pulled out a couple victories uh, in the last, uh, well, I guess they beat Saskatchewan. They needed one or two more here to still be alive. Two home games left for the Elks. They have a bye in the very final week of the season, so now we'll see if they can end that ugly streak of 15 consecutive home field losses. Uh, they were obviously completely outclassed in Winnipeg on Saturday, losing the game 14-11. CFL this afternoon, bit of an upset in my mind. The Alouettes have been very good lately. They lose to Ottawa. The Red Blacks win it 24-18. The Elks this week, that'll be on tomorrow at 7.30 with Morley Scott. Okay, it is the Thanksgiving Monday. Uh, we'll keep you updated here on uh, what's going on with the Oilers, but uh, it's also a best-of edition, as we often do on a holiday. We got some real fun stories coming up. You're going to hear from Jim Germany, a double-E legend. We got a member of the uh, Toronto Raptors on the show. whole bunch more to get to. <laughs> Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Had a real treat during the NHL preseason. Rob Brown and I, of course, are camped out in Studio 99 for the face-off show and overtime open line. And uh, often we have a lot of great guests coming through. And uh, with the Raptors playing that uh, preseason game at Rogers Place last weekend, 
as the lead up to that uh, at the uh, at the final Oilers game before that uh, that basketball game was played. Former Toronto Raptor, he had a long career in the NBA. Marcus Camby came by and visited with Rob and me. My first time in Edmonton. Uh, you know, I, I lived in Toronto uh, for two years, my first two years in the NBA, but this is my first time venturing out, uh, out over in Alberta. And uh, you, have you, been, you must have been to an NHL game, though, at some point. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, a lot of NBA stops um, had a lot of NHL teams. Uh, so I, I went to a couple of Maple Leaf games, and I played in New York a lot. I went to a lot of Rangers game, and I was in Denver with the Avs, so I uh, was pretty familiar with the game a little bit. Okay, so when you watch hockey, do you think, I, I wish I would have tried? that or do you think no that's I mean I tried I got out there on skates that one time and I fell and I was like up oh, and sticking to the basketball court <laughs> you, I think you would have been pretty intimidated how tall are you I'm 6'11 yeah so size wise you would have been okay so I, I probably would have been a, a, a real target out there so I'm glad I did he would, he would have been a goalie you know, there was not a lot of room on him if you're shooting on him if that, he's in that's there Rob always <laughs> says that just get the, the, get the biggest wrestler guy. In yeah, actually <laughs> put him on his knees he's still higher than the net it would have been good <laughs> so you're sticking you're, you're sticking around all weekend and coming to the game Sunday yeah, that, I'm yeah, all weekend. I'm, I'm here to promote the game that we have on Sunday, the NBA Canada games against the uh, Toronto Raptors and the Utah Jazz. And I'm excited to be here. You know, it's the first time, um, you know, being, like I said, being in Edmonton and the first time that I think the Raptors are coming this way. So I think they're looking to put on the performance and just represent the whole Canada country as a whole. Yeah, well, that's I, I know Vancouver had a team for a while, but the right. Raptors have become Canada's team and, and the championship three years ago yes. was so exciting. Now, I'm curious for you because... Uh, where did you grow up and then you get drafted by the Raptors like did you know a lot about Canada or were you thinking like wait a minute well, where am I going I grew up in Hartford Connecticut I was just talking to him he said he played for the Whalers that's right that's how far we go back <laughs> but I didn't know much you know when I got drafted by the Raptors that was the second year of existence of the Toronto Raptors so I didn't know much about the city not much about the country so when I got drafted uh, out of college I went to a whole new country to start my career so it was, it was very exciting nervous a lot you know I didn't know what to expect going into a different country but you know once I got up there and just saw the fans and, and just saw how welcoming they were um, it felt like home yeah Canadians are pretty nice we they're real that, real real, that, real, nice, real nice people have you, have you noticed a difference in Canadian basketball from the time that you were drafted to, to now for the number of players that Canada's putting into the NBA oh and stuff? Oh my gosh, I think there's like over 20 NBA players right now in the NBA that's from Canada and just the, the, the level of talent just has got tremendous. I mean, you're talking about all-time great players like Steve Nash, you know, uh, who else we have in there? R.J. Barrett, uh, he just got paid. Yeah, he big got big money. money. Wiggins, <laughs> Wiggins just won the championship. Wiggins won the championship. Yeah. So everything in Canada has been flourishing, and I'm, I'm happy about that. You know, you played, I, I gave your study, 973 games. I mean, that is a, a, a tremendous career. Um, to what do you owe your longevity? I mean, that's some guys never get to play one. You got to play almost 1,000. Well, I would just say... Um, I would have played a whole lot more, but I got injured a lot during my career playing in center position. But uh, I just think, um, you know, just my want to. I wanted to be in the NBA. Uh, I wanted to make my, my, my mom proud. I wanted to make my family proud. And I wanted to provide a better life for them. So that was pretty much my motivation every time I stepped out in the basketball court. Now, physically, obviously, playing in the middle, that's got to be a tough way to earn a living. How is your body now? 
Now, um, now that it's decompressed over a couple of years, I'm feeling great. <laughs> but during the time, um, you know, going up against Shaquille O'Neal on a nightly basis and those big bruisers down there, it definitely takes a toll on your body. So uh, I'm glad I don't have to go through that anymore. And I can just sit back and just be a fan. I'm glad you brought that up because I think, and I, I am totally a casual observer of the NBA, so I'm glad I get to ask you this because I, I, I'm really curious about your perspective. I see a lot of three-point shots. I see a lot of scoring, and that's fun. But there were some games I was watching in the finals last year, even throughout the postseason, and I'm thinking there's, like, no inside play. Like, the five offensive players are lined up both the three outside. Like, there's nobody backing in, you know, like, right, back right. to the basket. Like, is, is am I right that there seems to be a significant change? And if I am right, is that ultimately good for the game or do we need to get back to some more inside presence i think it's more exciting the game right now um when i was coming up into the nba uh now i played with the knicks for a lot of years and, and the knicks and the miami heat if you know about that rivalry you know it was physical uh the first team score 80 points wins the ball game and i just think it was kind of a, a ugly type style to play with but now with the influx of of, of talent that we have from a lot of the european players coming to the game you know, we have a lot of guys my size or bigger that don't play with their back to the basket, that they're more skilled, that they can step out to the three-point line and knock down a lot of three-point jumpers. And I think the fans like the high-scoring volume of games, the up-and-down, the fast-paced scoring games, games over 100 points. I think that's stylistic-wise. I think that's what caters to this generation right now. Why why can the big man score now? Like, why why are the centers shooting from three-point? What, what started that? Uh, I think all big guys wanted to be guards at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the first one. I, I, I was included. Uh, I wanted to shoot the ball. I wanted to handle the ball. I wanted to do all those things. And But just think the guys uh, now that their athletic ability, the knowledge of the ball game has taken off so much that they're able to incorporate a lot of the guard skills into the game today. See, I, I'm interested hearing this from Marcus. Uh, Marcus can be joining us on the Face Off Show because you won, I was just double-checking the year, you won Defensive Player of the Year in 06-07. So I thought he was going to be telling us, Rob, no, 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 you just got to defend. Can you hold the team under 50 points is enough. Bang, bang but, away. You know? But that's just like in hockey, the defensive defenseman wants to score goals. Right, right, uh, the defensive right, right. player in basketball, he wants to get points. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. He wants to be on the highlights. Right, right, right. So it's, 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 it's give and take. It's give and take. I'm a, I'm a defensive-minded guy at heart, but I also like to score the ball. <laughs> uh, who got you into basketball as a kid, and did you excel at any other sports when you were young? Uh, growing up, I actually was... Um, I was a football fan. I loved to play football. Uh, I played a little bit when I was younger, and then I just started to grow. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much gravitated to the game of basketball, and I, and I never looked back. Uh, you know, I, I saw it a lot on television. Uh, my idol growing up was Dr. J. Uh, ironically, he went to the University of Massachusetts. I went to the University of Massachusetts. So you know, even till this day, me and Dr. J have a, a real close bond, and we're bonded together by our school. So I'm very happy that I, I chose basketball, but I'm a roadly guy. I like all sports. I like all sports. It's funny. I'm watching that Rise of the Lakings winning time right now. They talk. Dr. J's in it. Everybody likes Dr. J. Seems like he's the nicest man uh, in the world. He, he's the nicest guy ever. Uh, he's always had an open door policy with myself, and um, I talk to him frequently, probably a couple times a month. So he's a real good guy, who's, classy guy. Who's the best player you played with, and the best player you played against? Oh, the best player I played against was definitely Michael Jordan. I mean, he was the epitome of the game of basketball. What he's done um, for the game on and off the court. Uh, I just think, you know, he's the greatest to ever play the ball game, man. 
the greatest player I ever played with. Uh, that's tough because I played with a lot of future Hall of Famers. You know, I played with Allen Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, you know, Patrick Ewan, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, Larry Johnson, who was probably my favorite teammate of all time. So, uh, you know, I played with a lot, of, a, a lot of great talent, a lot of great talent. Who is the most annoying trash talker you played against? Woo! <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> I probably had to say Gary Payton. Gary Payton, oh. he, he talked a lot of trash. I didn't have to guard him. He was a small guy, but I was back there listening to some of the things he was saying, and some of the stuff we were saying I can't say on your show today. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're sticking around for the – do you have any other events planned or mingling or what's going on? Right. We have a clinic going on tomorrow. Um, we're encouraging a lot, of, a lot of kids to come out to the clinic tomorrow. We have them here at the Rogers Place. Um, obviously, we got the Canada Games here on Sunday that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I know both teams are looking forward to being here in Edmonton and, and putting on a great show for these great fans out here in Canada. So I'm here all weekend. I'm just enjoying and soaking everything up. Okay, I'm going to... Uh, the guy who wears 97 for the Oilers, you may want to keep an eye on him tonight, Connor McDavid. He's pretty quick. Boy, I, I've been walking around for two days, and all I see is 97 <laughs> jerseys. 97, 97. So I heard, I heard he's the man, so I'm definitely going to keep my eye on him tonight. <laughs> That is Marcus Camby. Happy Thanksgiving. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30 Chet. All right, CFL this afternoon, Ottawa over Montreal, 24-18. Oilers roster moves. You got Devin Shore and James Hamblin going to the minors. Jason Demers released from his PTO. Baseball playoffs will resume again tomorrow. Oh, Blue Jays, my oh my, 8-1 lead, gone. They lose 10-9 to Seattle on Saturday, and their season over is uh, is over. That was a, a tough one to watch, just slipping, slipping away from the Jays in that game. So they are eliminated. Okay, Reed Wilkins with you. Happy Thanksgiving. We got uh, a best-of edition of Inside Sports tonight. I always like doing these because I get to go back and listen to some of our favorite interviews over the last uh, few weeks. A, a couple of weeks ago, the Edmonton Elks, had a bye week. So linebacker Trey Watson got to go to Green Bay and do a jersey swap with his brother Christian, who's a receiver for the Green Bay Packers. Absolutely, man. It was a, a, a one-of-a-kind experience that I think few people um, in, in life in general get to have. Uh, my brother is the 2022 second-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, plays wide receiver. His name is Christian Watson. Um, so we were able to uh, go down to Green Bay to see them play on in Sunday Night Football against the Bears. It just worked out perfectly, lining up with our bye week. Um, and we got to do a, a, a brother professional jersey swap. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome moment. Uh, crazy that my team is green and yellow, his team is green and yellow. It just makes sense, you know. Green and yellow seems to be what fits uh, for the Watson family. Um, but it was, it was an enjoyable experience, man. My, my family and I had a great time. Uh, first time, you know, visiting Lambeau Field and getting to enjoy that experience as well. So it was, it was an awesome weekend. Well, that sounds pretty cool. And, you know, I've seen some pictures uh, online of you guys doing the the jersey swap, which is which is pretty cool. That must have been a, 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 an incredible moment. Uh, two brothers playing pro football, and like you said, pretty similar team colors, uh, which is uh, which is nice. And it's I, I got to tell you this, Trey. And I, Trey, I have a bit of a rule on this show. 
that nobody's allowed to talk about their fantasy football team because there's an old <laughs> saying that uh, to, to you, nothing is more interesting than your fantasy football team, but to everybody else, nothing is less interesting. But I will That's tell you this, awesome. Chris, Christian Watson is on one of my teams. So there you go. <laughs> That's awesome, man. He's, he's a really talented kid, man. And, and once, once he's able to put it all together, um, you know, obviously part of that, like I'm de- dealing with right now, is, is staying healthy and doing those little things, uh, getting acclimated to the NFL um, you know he's got he's got a lot of great help there with the incredible quarterback and all those kinds of things uh, he should be getting you myself and a lot of other people a ton of fantasy points this the rest of this year and for a long time moving forward uh, you know he's, he's got a lot of ability man and it's gonna be a sight to see okay so what's the what's the age difference with you guys and when, when you were kids were you were you ever teammates or against each other or did you have a, a sibling rivalry what was it like so we were we're just under three years apart, um, so we really never got to play together. Besides, you know, like more so playing in the backyard than anything. Um, my senior year of high school, he ended up going to a, a different high school that kind of set things up for him for, for the future. Um, so we, yeah, I, we've actually never played in any level of, of real competitive sports together. Uh, but absolutely, we're competitive, man. We're two different body types, but the the insane competitor in us, man. We in everything we did, whether it was football, any other sport, video games, um, you know, it's kind of just a, a brother thing, man. You got to find a way to beat your brother. And as a big brother, one thing you definitely can't do is lose to little bro, um, which didn't happen often until he became, you know, the, the fully grown elite specimen that he is. Uh, he's, he's as big and as athletic as, as you'll find. Um, so that's, that's where he's definitely got me in that respect. Well, I can tell you're proud of him. Trey Watson, linebacker for Edmonton Elks, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. They're going to be playing Montreal on Saturday. Uh, I always love hearing about the, the, the personal stories and the journeys that players have been on. Now, where did you grow up and who got you into football? So I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, um, but lived in, in Tampa, Florida since about 2005. Um, my dad actually played in the NFL, was drafted by the same team as my brother, the Green Bay Packers, in 1992. Um, so football obviously runs deep in our family. Um, and as a kid, man, I think, you know, my dad encouraged me to experience every sport. Um, basically anything they allowed me to play, I was in soccer, basketball, t-ball. And, you know, football is one of the ones that they, they let you into the latest. I, so I think I was like six years old by the time they started letting me play tackle football. And it was just the one that stuck, man. It was, it was never pushed on me by my parents, which I, I can appreciate looking back on. Um, they allowed me to find my interests and, and what suited me best. Um, and that's certainly what I did. And, uh, you know, football is just natural for me, man. It, it's just what I love to do. All right. So when did playing in Canada become a reality for it? I always ask American guys this because some guys say like, oh, yeah, I knew about CFL. I had a buddy there. Uh, you know, sometimes I'd get it on cable. And other guys say, like, I didn't know where Edmonton was, Calgary was, or anything like that. What's your story with Canada? So um, when I ended up going undrafted in 2019, I signed on with the Dolphins, spent some time there, and then also spent some time in the XFL during 2020. Um, and I, I knew about the CFL um, as a football guy. I, I kind of think of myself as a football purist. I know 
as much as there is to know about football. Um, I wouldn't say, though, that I was too well-versed with the CFL. Um, but, you know, you know it's an option. And when I ended up getting cut and the XFL got put on hold with COVID, uh, you know, you got to look for the next opportunity. And there was one here. Um, I think it was, was that New Year's Eve 2020 is when I got a contract offer from Montreal. And that's, that's been where I've been. I've been locked in and been enjoying it ever since. I wouldn't say I was too familiar with, you know, a French province up here in Canada as a as a young kid from, you know, the southernmost part of the U.S. Um, but I've, I've learned, I've adapted well, and, and my family and I are really enjoying it here. So we, we feel certainly welcomed uh, by our, our northern brethren. Uh, well, you've got, uh, since you've come to Edmonton, I don't know if you're the lucky charm, but we've had one of the warmest uh, summers and Septembers, I think, in a long time. <laughs> so you're, it's not it's not quite like Florida. Though, man, oh, man, did you know anybody that, like, that horrible hurricane there? I hope everybody you know is, is safe. Yeah, yeah. Everyone everyone in my family and who's, who's still down there, and actually my, my home now is in Tampa that we still have. Everything is, is looking like it's still in shape after everything that happened. Um, I don't know if you want to call it fortunate because the, the people who it did impact more, you know, we certainly are praying for them and, and the things that they lost. Um, but it didn't end up going directly over Tampa, so they didn't end up getting as much damage as was originally projected. Um, so we're, we're certainly feeling fortunate in that way, and everyone is, is doing all right uh, as of right now. What was the biggest, and maybe, the, maybe there wasn't one, but what was the biggest adjustment from playing four-down football to coming to the CFL? I mean, I know field, all that kind of stuff. Like, was there a big one for you? For me, man, it was it was understanding the things that kind of have really have nothing to do with playing on the field. Yeah, there's the waggles and the, the wider field and the 12th guy. That, that's something to get used to. But one, it's, it's the little small rules that, that you kind of learn every week as you're in the league. Um, you know, you can, instead of recovering a fumble, all you have to do is smack it out of bounds and it's yours. Uh, something like that is completely alien to to a u.s football player um the single points that's a different thing putting the ball out of the end zone to not get the singles those those little things are different and then obviously having to to navigate the ratio the starters um you know knowing that hey man i'm not just fighting for you know a, a job a roster spot on this team i'm fighting this small percentage of the roster um, you know, because, hey, there's going to be a certain amount of Canadians, there's going to be some global players, there's going to be X amount of U.S. players. There's just more factors that come into being up here, um, and that, that influences, you know, roster building, and that influences how soon you're able to get a job, how soon you're able to come up from the U.S. and become a starter. There's just more, more things that you have to consider and be aware of as a player, you know. And if you just come up here and, and don't understand any of those things, then you get blindsided a lot, and I, I'm not one to like being blindsided and not understand what's going on so from that perspective it's been constant learning each and every week um and you know just taking it one thing at a time geez you're thinking like a gm already trey <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's kind of how you have to think man with, with the game of football the way it is um you know 
You never know when you're going to have a job. You never know what can happen that can cause you to lose one. Um, I'd rather be knowledgeable and understand the situation that I'm bringing myself into than, you know, just come up here having no clue. And then, you know, somebody gets cut or traded or something, and you're like, man, I was playing really well. Well, two Canadians went down, so they had to put a Canadian somewhere else. And then you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. So, you know, there's just a lot of layers to being up here, um, and it's better to know and then deal with it that way than just be blindsided. Okay, two more for you, both kind of on the lighter side. And I know you weren't there a long, long time, but did you pick up any French in Montreal? So I tried. Um, I tried it specifically because even when you go to eat, the menus are in French, um, and half of the time they don't even have an English one, so it kind of gets difficult. Um, but not not too much, man. I think it was way too fast-paced for me, and I was focusing on just learning the football part as much as possible um, and didn't pick up too much of the French language. All right, and uh, what do you think of having a $1 coin and $2 coins instead of bills? So that part has completely caught me off guard because you're sitting there and, and you know, you expect your change back and then... You know, you do that five or six times, you pay with cash, and now you're just, your pocket's full of one and two dollar coins and just jingling all the time, and I don't know what to do with it. So that caught me off guard last year. I ended up having to get changed back so that I didn't have these coins in my pockets all the time. Uh, but it's definitely a unique thing up here. All right. Well, you're definitely becoming an honorary Canadian. Trey, this was a pleasure to talk to you. You're very well spoken, and I'm glad you're healthy and coming back for this big game against the Alouettes. Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Sports. Absolutely. Thank Thank you for having me, man. Have a good one. That was a really interesting interview. Obviously, a tough season for the Elks, but they got some good players and some good personalities on that team, and Trey Watson is one of them. Farewell to Roger Federer when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Well, one of the all-time greats, Roger Federer, recently announced he is leaving the game of tennis. And what an incredible career. Just one of the best all-time. Grant Canton is a great story himself. You've heard him on this show before. He uh, grew up in Stony Plain. He eventually became the head groundskeeper at Wimbledon. He's uh, now back in Alberta. He's uh, working at Cougar Creek Golf Course. But, of course, during his time at Wimbledon, he got to know Roger Federer. It's kind of a sad morning. I, you know, it was uh, news that you knew was coming, but dreading the day sort of thing. Uh, you know, 41 years old, and after watching the U.S. Open with these youngsters like Alcaraz, Rublev, Sinner, you know, he uh, he doesn't have the legs in him anymore. And obviously he's got four kids and a wife at home and probably wants to start, uh, you know, pursuing other avenues and decided it was time. You know, it's never, never an easy time to say now, but... Uh, you know, today's the day, so uh, yeah, I wish him all the best, and hopefully he uh, enjoys retirement. So uh, on social media, you've posted, uh, you know, some pictures of uh, of you talking to Federer, and I remember the first time I, I had you on, when you were still in London, you said that you would get the uh, the, the champion to sign a net for you each year, which was, was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, how, what, what does the relationship work between someone who is in your title, uh, in your position, and, and, and some, of the, some of the players? How well can you get to know each other? What are those conversations like? 
Well, the the thing with the players is they certainly know who who the guys are that look after the tennis courts and you know keep everything nice and beautiful at uh, at Wimbledon. So they always have a lot of time for the the guys and girls. And you know, over the years, you just get to know these players. We you know during practice sessions, you'd set the nets up for them. They'd have a bit of chit chat. They're always trying to get the inside edge on any info about the courts. Um, so you get to know the players. And the thing with Roger was he was always such a chilled out guy. Always had time for people was never really in a rush, um, just a real down-to-earth guy who was very good at tennis. And, uh, you know, over the 17 years that I was there, I got to know him very well. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd provide me and my girlfriend tickets to go to other events, uh, you know, Indian Wells a couple of times, other events in London, one in Switzerland. I mean, it was just great, you know. It was uh, certainly a great privilege to to have that and to, to get to know, know someone like that. But did you, you must have talked things other than tennis if he's that laid back and he was you know kind enough to, to give you some tickets uh, along the way can you share any of those conversations yeah sure i believe it was 2017 he was uh, the first his first practice session at wimbledon when i saw him he was uh, very excited to talk about hockey because it was Nico Heischer went first overall and he was the first player. And uh, I, guess, I guess that's the first time it's happened with a first player. So he was uh, quite proud of that fact. And he likes to talk about, you know, soccer and other sports and traveling. The guy knows every city, every country in the world. I think he speaks six different languages. Uh, he's a, just a genuine nice guy. You know, some of the, sometimes players can be, you know, stubborn and just not have any time for anybody. But he was different, and that's why ever since 2002, he's been voted by the ATP fan favorite every single year since 2002. One year he played five events, and he still was voted <laughs> fan favorite. And uh, no, that's never happened in any other sport, somebody to be the consistent fan favorite for that long. It just, it just proves what, what a nice guy that he was. Yeah, and and the best all time at uh, at Wimbledon with uh, eight. Uh, I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong with any of the Wimbledon, but I'm pretty sure I got that. Uh, yes. So so the the best all time there. Would he? Okay. So but if he wanted to talk about the conditions, like what would he say, or did he ever complain or have a kind suggestion? I'm just wondering about those types of interactions. The one thing I always remember that he would say is, he goes, the thing I love about coming to Wimbledon is you know what you're going to get. You know, the courts are, uh, you know, made every single year exactly the same. The, the club had enough science and enough people working on the research and the, the, the details behind the scene to, to give us the data, you know, moisture levels, light levels, firmness levels, everything. Um, so the courts are made the same every single year, and that's what he loved. He says, I know when I show up here on the Wednesday before the, the tournament starts on the Monday, I know exactly how the courts are going to be. So, uh, But he understands, you know, the, the grass was getting a bit of slack a few uh, a couple of years ago because of they were too wet, but, you know, a grass court starts off brand new. And every day it gets a little more beat up, a little more drier. And by the end of the tournament, you have smoked baselines. The court's a lot drier. Ball's bouncing a little bit higher. But that's the beauty about grass court tennis is you have to adapt. And Roger Federer is the absolute number one best on grass. You know, no no discussion there. He That's why he's such a great player because he can adapt to the different court uh, changes. All right, so... Um, the, I, Jack was on a few days ago, Jack Michaels, who you, you know well. Um, yeah. I mean, it was because of Jack that you and I met and originally connected. And he made a great point. He said, tennis has had three Tiger Woods all at the same time. 
which is That's an incredible right. way to put it, and nothing against the previous greats in the sport, but I, I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Nadal has 22 Grand Slam titles, Djokovic 21, Federer 20. By those yep. numbers, Nadal is the greatest of all time. However, there are other ways to evaluate. I'll put you on the spot. And if you want to, you know, dance around it in your own way, that's fine. Who is the greatest tennis player of all time? Would you pick one of those three if you needed a I, match to save your life? I will. But before I do that, I just want to touch on the fact about having the three Tiger Woods. When I first started at Wimbledon in 2002, I had the chance to meet Pete Sampras briefly and have a, you know, quick chat with him and get my photo taken with him. You know, my first wow moment with a tennis player kind of thing. Um, but that year after Wimbledon at the U.S. Open, he won his 14th Grand Slam. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way anybody's going to do 14 Grand Slams again. And like you said, here we go. So three of them got 20, 21, and 22. Greatest all-time, I'm still going to stick with Roger Federer. Okay, yes, Nadal has a couple more slams, but, I mean, how many French Opens has he won? It's a different, different service. I mean, no disrespect to Rafa. Or uh, Novak, I do believe Novak will probably end up being the all-time Grand Slam leader. But, again, like I said earlier, Roger Federer has been the fan favorite for the last 20 years. Why? Because he is that kind of person. I remember one time a girl, uh, a reporter, she came running past, she was crying. She missed her uh, interview with Roger Federer, so she went anyways. And 10 minutes later, he was still sitting there waiting for her. He could have easily just took off and said, you know what, she's late. But he didn't want her to get in trouble. So he waited for this reporter, and the girl couldn't believe he was still waiting for her when, uh, when she showed up. So, again, you know, I, I, I've seen certain things behind the scenes that just prove that fact that not only a tennis player, but as a sportsman, he has to be one of the all-time greats as a, as just a great leader and a great person. Yeah, well said. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I know you still follow the sport. Uh, you know, Alcaraz won the U.S. Open. Is is, is he leading the next? And I, and I know Djokovic and Nadal are still going to try and, and win a few more, like you said. But is, is Alcaraz leading the next wave, or in your mind, you know, who's a who's a name or two or three that maybe casual fans should should store away, and maybe they're going to start racking up the majors here. I asked myself, you know, if Novak did play the U.S. Open, could he have won? And I don't think he could have beaten Alcaraz. The way that kid was running around, and even like, uh, you know, Yannick Sinner and uh, Rublev and, you know, Cam Norrie, who did very well at Wimbledon, and, you know, the young Canadians coming up, time waits for no man. And these guys, Nadal and Djokovic, they're, they're running out of steam. And uh, I, I don't know if Novak could have, could have done it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't think he's going to be able to play the Aussie Open again. And then, but then comes the French Open. Is Rafa going to just take that one? It's, it's, it's an interesting time in uh, tennis. It's definitely the changing of the guard. And, you know, this was said five years ago when, you know, Grigor Dimitrov and Raonic and those guys were coming through the ranks. You know, here they come. They're going to start putting these guys to, to the sword. And it, it hasn't happened. You know, and that was six years ago. So it, it's going to happen this time, though. These guys are just getting up there a little too much with age now. And it, like I said, here, a 19-year-old legs are going to certainly win a five-setter over five hours against a 36-year-old. Great perspective from Grant Canton. Okay, we're taking you into the 7 o'clock news and weather. Still ahead, Brian Wilde, Jim Germany, Gene Principe on running a half marathon. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet.